Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. We're very excited to have you here today. And what we're going to be discussing is adult tantrums. It may be funny to categorize these as adult tantrums because we don't normally talk about them that way. But realistically, there are plenty of times adults have tantrums. Now, why don't we call them adult tantrums? Well, a part of the reason why is, is that it doesn't feel good to have them categorized as adult tantrums. But when we're talking about kids having tantrums, it doesn't hurt our feelings, so we're more apt to categorize them that way. But the truth is, there's not a whole lot of difference between children's emotional regulation versus adults' emotional regulation. Just becoming older does not mean that you get better at emotional regulation. You actually have to go through a process where one part of it is that you have to be in situations where emotional regulation is necessary. And through the course of that, you learn how to manage those emotions when you're going through these difficult situations. The other part is learning the coping skills on what to do when you're in these difficult situations. So one is experiential, just understanding, okay, this is what this is like. I understand how these emotions feel big and uncomfortable, but they don't take over because you've been in the situation plenty of times before. The other one is learning these skills that you then can apply to make those situations even easier in the interim. Now, don't get me wrong, just being in difficult situations doesn't immediately mean that you're going to learn how to emotionally regulate through there. There's kind of two optional outcomes that can happen. Either when you go through these very difficult situations, it can kind of break you where then it makes you less able to deal with difficult situations in the future and more triggered when those things come up or it can cause you to become more emotionally robust. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you talk about, yeah, and I like that you say that, about being in situations that are emotionally difficult. Because I talk to a lot of people and they say, you know, I was never an angry person, or I never had problems controlling my emotions until I had kids. And maybe some of you can relate to that. And I don't think it's your kids that is bringing that out of you, but I think what happens is that a lot of times as parents, there's a lot of things that are now not in our control. You have this little person that has free will and can choose to listen to you or not. Yeah, they're not making you crazy. They're revealing you're crazy. Oh, for sure. It's like that example that Emerson Egrich gives about the skunk and the flower, that if you step on one, it's just revealing and bringing out what's already in you. And so there are a lot of situations where we can feel not in control or we can feel that this is a difficult situation to handle our emotions. But I think definitely parenthood is one that is just kind of in your face will bring out those emotions. Yeah, and going back to what you're talking about with kids, I remember when we had our first child, we were driving in the car one time, and she was just screaming in her car seat, and the crying just was driving me up the wall. I literally remember sticking my fingers in my ears because I couldn't handle it. And now our fifth child is over one years old, and when she cries, it doesn't hardly bother me at all. Do I like it? No, not really. But the effect it used to have on me when we originally had our first child compared to now our fifth one, the amount that it bothers me is dramatically less. And that's a good example where you're in this situation and you learn to cope with these uncomfortable emotions or uncomfortable situations just by the very nature of being in an experience and being exposed to these uncomfortable situations. Right. And I think when you say adult tantrums, it is that stigma of that's such a childish thing, but it really is this inability to regulate ourselves and then reacting and behaving in ways that are an outburst or uncontrolled and oftentimes infringe on the boundaries or the feelings of others. 
Yeah, and I think if you just look at the basic behaviors of kids when they're having a tantrum, you definitely can see a lot of similarities with adults. But with kids, we kind of look at it in a very different light than we do with adults, right? So people getting angry, huffing and puffing, crossing their arms, being passive aggressive. I've even had a person in my office one time stand up and start stomping their feet uh, in the session. And so if you just look at it with an objective eye, you can see a lot of the ways that children behave when they're having a tantrum versus some of the ways that adults behave actually are very similar. We just kind of categorize them differently. But a part of this is we're kind of putting on this idea of adult tantrum is a little bit to kind of poke at people because we want you to recognize, hey, these behaviors are not good. They're not okay. And then also identifying the fact that, again, just because you're getting older doesn't mean you're getting better with emotional regulation. Actually, I think a lot of times people actually get worse. We might sometimes employ more sophisticated but unhealthy ways to express our emotions, but that ultimately, a lot of the times as adults, we are still expressing ourselves in very unhealthy ways. So just a side note, I personally don't like to label it tantrums. Like if my kids are having a hard time regulating their emotions, I never tell them, stop throwing a tantrum. We definitely wouldn't tell people in sessions that they're that they're having or throwing tantrums. Right, and we don't talk to others about, oh, our kid was just throwing a tantrum or look at them throwing a tantrum. We don't use that verbiage normally, but I think it is for that shock value of an adult tantrum. Just seeing it for what it is, is really lack of emotional regulation. And I think a really good example of this is when you see a parent or an adult yelling, be quiet or stop yelling as they're yelling at their kids, right? Or you walk into the room and you're trying to teach your kids to be kind. So you're chastising them and berating them just saying, why can't you guys ever get along? And why can't you be kind to each other? And in the process, we're not showing that same kindness. We're not setting that example or modeling what we want. We're doing exactly what we're telling them to stop doing. It is very interesting. I do think a lot of times parents require more emotional maturity out of their children than they expect out of themselves. And a part of that is because they don't have anybody else kind of looking at them and saying like, hey, listen, like you might need to regulate a little bit more. But then when you're looking at your kids, you very much expect them not to show or express anger or sadness or frustration or to not be fearful or embarrassed versus for adults, we tend to have relatively little accountability. This is an interesting and difficult spot when, this is an interesting and difficult spot, I think, when you look at it, the old saying, absolute power corrupts absolutely. When you're a parent, you kind of have unlimited and absolute power. And it's important to stop and consider, am I being a dictator here or am I being fair and just trying to help my children to develop better? Yeah, and going back to what you said about not having them express the anger and sadness, it's not that we don't want them to express their anger or sadness or hurt. We want them to be able to express that. It's healthy to be able to express that, but in a healthy manner and in a healthy way. So you want to encourage your kids that it's okay to be sad, but it's not okay to whine. Or it's okay to be angry and frustrated and disappointed about things, but it's not okay to throw things or hit or rip things out of other people's hands. And so there definitely is a separation between the emotion and the behavior. And so being able to identify when you're about to throw a tantrum or when you're about to have these outbursts, what is it you're feeling? Because we want you to be able to express your feelings in a healthy manner. We don't want you to go to the two extremes of having these outbursts and pushing people around and being mean and not recognizing that these behaviors aren't okay. 
But also on the other end, we don't want you to suppress what you're feeling and push things away and down and not be able to express them because that's where you get people-pleasing and that's where you get codependency and all these things where you weren't ever able to express your emotions and it wasn't okay to feel a certain way. And so that's not what we're saying. It is okay to feel things. It is okay to have emotions, but it's about expressing it in a healthy manner. Yeah, I think with just about all things, there's this healthy balance. One extreme one way or one extreme the other way is generally an unhealthy pattern versus when you kind of let that pendulum settle and swing into the middle, that's normally the healthiest road to be taking. Right, so you want to find that balance of things with your kids for sure, but also with yourself, right? And so you want to find that healthy balance, right? And you want to find a healthy balance. And you hear that all around you, work-life balance, a balanced diet. And so being able to be emotionally balanced. So today we just really wanted to introduce this idea of adult tantrums and what they can look like at times. But we're going to stop there on today's episode and we're going to continue in the next episode to talk about how can you learn to self-regulate and how can you learn to cope with these overwhelming emotions. So we hope you tune into the next episode. Have a great day and remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. In the last episode, we talked about what adult tantrums can look like and just the idea of having adult tantrums where you aren't able to regulate yourself and regulate your emotions, and yet we require this of our children. And so if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. And then we're going to jump in with today's episode as we talk about what are some strategies that we can do to help us cope with these emotions and help us to self-regulate when we feel these overwhelming emotions. So the first thing we're going to talk about is just that awareness. Being aware that you're feeling something and that something's going on with you that you're struggling with managing. So some things that can help you be aware are just physical sensations in your body, right? Do your ears feel hot? Do you feel something in your chest or your stomach or your back? Just noticing that, okay, something has changed. Or has there been some type of tone shift or a change in the body language. So just becoming aware of these shifts that might have happened is an important aspect of it. I think something also to be aware of is that your reactions to negative stimuli are oftentimes going to feel reasonable or justified, but that doesn't mean that your reaction to them is reasonable and justified. So when it comes to that awareness, the difficult part is stepping out of it and then and then looking at it. If I was observing somebody behaving this way, would I feel like it's a reasonable or rational reaction? Or is this an experience where it's coming across more as an adult tantrum? And step number two is acceptance. And so after you become aware of what's really happening, what you're experiencing, the next step is just accepting your emotions and accepting where you're at. So this is kind of that idea of mindfulness where you see what's happening and you are just aware and you accept, okay, I'm feeling upset. And accepting that it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be disappointed or sad. It's all part of being a human, right? Remember that feelings are natural, they're normal, and they're neutral. So feelings are natural. We all have feelings and they just naturally come up. Someone does something and we naturally feel a certain way. And you just naturally feel disappointed. And they're normal. Everyone experiences emotions and feelings. It's part of being a human. It's the way God's designed us. And feelings are neutral. So feelings in and of itself are not good or bad. 
when we think of sadness, we feel like it's a bad thing, but in and of itself, feelings are neutral. It's what you do with it that can be healthy or unhealthy. And I think another part about this acceptance idea is a lot of times people will get on their own case because like, well, I should be further along or I should be better at this and things like that. But you just have to accept where you are. And it's not a competition, but it's just a goal of yours to get better in these areas. Okay, I struggle at this. I want to be better. And if you just keep making progress, you're going to end up being in a better spot than where you start. So be careful about being very critical about where you're at because it's not helpful to your progress. Just leave that criticism on the side and then just start taking the steps forward to be in a different spot with your ability to emotionally regulate. Right, because when you criticize or judge yourself or what you're feeling, then you start to have guilt and shame and condemnation. And you're just digging yourself into this deeper and deeper pit and accepting, okay, this is where I'm at. Now what do I do? Yeah, and I think that condemnation of yourself that takes energy away from where you could be productive in making those steps forward. So just accepting, no judging, and then trying to move forward. The next one is self-care. Taking care of yourself both physically and emotionally is very important towards that emotional regulation level. A good example of not taking care of yourself physically is not sleeping enough. Well, if you haven't slept enough and you're very tired, you're going to have a tendency to be more emotionally reactive. But if you're getting good, restful, and plenty of sleep, it's going to be easier for you to emotionally regulate. Another good example of that is if you're really hungry. So when people are really hungry, they say, well, I get hangry. I get very angry when I'm hungry. And so if you're eating regularly, that also helps you to more naturally regulate your emotions. So if you're taking care of yourself both physically and emotionally, it'll make this process easier. A good example for me on the emotional side is I'm introverted, so I need time away and to myself, and that helps me to regulate. And then for you, Ruth, you're more extroverted, so having time with other people helps you to feel better and to, and to feel more emotionally regulated. And so understanding that those are a part of the equation also, you're starting to set the playing field to make it easier for you to be successful. Yeah, I think a lot of times we can feel selfish for wanting to have self-care, but self-care isn't a three-hour thing that you do on a Saturday and go get your nails done. Self-care is taking care of yourself daily and making sure that you have what you need to be healthy and to be present for yourself and for your family. And so self-care doesn't have to be selfish at all. I know that when I can get sleep, that it's easier for me to be more patient and to be kinder. And I show up better when I'm rested. And it helps you to be just better emotionally regulated all when you are consistently taking care of yourself. But on the other end, I do want to mention that, right? So if I didn't get a good night's sleep, it doesn't excuse my behavior in being impatient with my children and and speaking unkindly to them or yelling at them. It makes sense why I'm doing that or why I feel that way, but it doesn't excuse that. It doesn't give me permission to do that. So just seeing self-care as a thing that is beneficial for yourself, but also for the people that you love that's around you. And I think that's a good point is that it's understandable, but not acceptable. Because if somebody treated you that way and they said, oh, I'm so sorry, I just didn't get enough sleep that night, you wouldn't be like, okay, no big deal. It would bother you. You still wouldn't like it. It would still hurt your feelings. And so a lot of times I think we can have a tendency to give ourselves a pass when we wouldn't give somebody else a pass. 
And if we wouldn't give somebody else a pass, we shouldn't allow ourselves to go that direction. It's helpful to understand that, hey, listen, I'm not feeling great, so I'm going to have to be extra careful with how I react or respond to things. Number four is self-soothing. And I think this is a really big piece of self-regulating, right? Being able to find things that work to help you regulate your emotions and manage your emotions. So the first thing I would say is to be quiet and take a breath. I think so often we're reacting and we're saying things right away and we're responding way too quickly rather than just taking a deep breath, maybe taking three or four deep breaths and really grounding yourself first and being able to respond to things rather than reacting. And I can see this in our kids when they get physically hurt. Like we said before, we don't want to suppress the emotions and tell them they can't feel a certain way. But when my kids get hurt, I really encourage them to breathe immediately. And I can notice a difference in the way that they're crying or the way that they're handling and managing it the moment that they take a breath. Even just this morning, my daughter hit her finger with a weight or dropped the weight on her finger or something happened where she got hurt. And immediately she started crying and that's okay because she's hurt. So I want to go over there and comfort her. But immediately I tell her, take a breath. And sometimes I just take over-exaggerated breaths so she can see it and she will begin to copy what I'm doing because we've worked with them enough that they know that means to take a breath. But as soon as she takes that breath, it really does help her to calm down. And does it still hurt? Yes, of course it still hurts. But like we always say, your mind is a powerful thing. And so being able to immediately take that breath gives you a sense of control and allows your body physically to calm down and regulate and handle that same pain in a different way. And I think this idea of self-soothing is very important because a lot of times people put it on other people to help them calm down. But the truth is, only you are the one who's able to regulate or calm yourself down. If you're not in a place where you're willing to or you don't want to, there's nothing anybody can do to force you to calm down. So when you're thinking about self-soothing, it's taking responsibility for your own emotions, your own reactions, and saying, what can I do to calm myself down? Because even to the best of my efforts in session, I can't force somebody to calm down. There's nothing that I can do if someone's not a willing participant or nothing that we can do as parents to get our kids to calm down if they're unwilling. They have to be willing to do these self-soothing techniques, and then that helps them to emotionally regulate. So breathing, I would say to pause, be quiet, and breathe right away. And then after that, figure out what kind of self-soothing techniques work for you. And this could be listening to music, taking a warm bath, going for a walk, maybe doing exercise. But the same things that work for you don't necessarily work for everyone else. So figure out what really helps you to calm down and self-soothe. But figure out what, but figure out what works for you to help you calm down and regulate your nervous system and regulate the emotions. But I definitely, but I definitely would start with that deep breath. Mm. You erase that last part. Number five is cognitive reframing. 
And this is a process of identifying our negative or irrational thoughts that might be intensifying our emotions and challenging them, trying to reframe those thoughts in a more positive or realistic way. Now, one of the things that's very difficult about this is, again, our ability to frame things in a negative way is very natural and it's this very powerful kind of knee-jerk response when something happens. Now, the difficulty with that is that when we go along with those initial negative thought processes, those intensify our negative emotions. Versus when you try to reframe it, you're trying to take this kind of catastrophized thought process that you have, and you're trying to put it into more of a realistic type of setting. Well, hey, listen, this awful, horrible outcome that I've been able to imagine might be happening, well, that's one possible outcome. But actually, it's a very unlikely outcome. What's actually much more likely is something that is either slightly good, slightly bad, or the most likely, a neutral outcome, something in the middle. Also, on the other side of the spectrum, we have a very positive outcome. Something great and wonderful could come out of that. But I think we are kind of designed and made to think about these worst-case catastrophized scenarios. But if you really stop and you think about all the different times, if you actually charted out all the different times you thought about how awful something would turn out, comparatively to how it actually turned out, you'd be surprised how frequently things turn out in a much better fashion than what you initially thought. But if you allow yourself to really dwell and stay with that awful catastrophized outcome, then it's going to make you feel worse. It's going to make you feel more upset. You're going to then be more reactive. And then you're going to make more unhealthy or bad choices that's actually going to enhance the probability you're going to get a bad outcome. But if you can stop and you can reframe and you can think about how could I turn this into a good outcome even though the initial thought processes are pretty rough, then what you're going to be doing is focusing more on shifting the direction towards that positive, which then enhances the likelihood that you're going to get that positive outcome. But even if you don't do anything, again, the very likely outcome is that it's going to be a neutral one. It's not a good or bad thing. It's just going to be a thing. And number six is using distraction techniques. So this could be very similar and even categorized under self-soothing but sometimes it's beneficial to just divert your attention away from distressing emotions or situations and really wait until you're in a better state to handle them. And so this is very similar in relationships when we say to take a pause or take a time out where it's not getting better and it's just escalating the situation in the state that you're in. So distracting yourself or using self-soothing techniques until you're in a place where you can really, until you're in a place where you feel better equipped to handle the situation. And this can involve, you know, engaging in a hobby, a craft, calling a friend, or even just changing your environment, going for a walk. And sometimes you see people doing this with kids, right? They're hurt. And so you make a funny joke or you try to distract them from whatever it is that they're struggling with for a little bit. You know, this is definitely not something that we want to leave and never come back to. We want to make sure that you're not just pushing things under the rug and then now you have this giant mountain. But it's a tool that you use to be able to calm yourself until you're at a place where you can address things in a healthy manner. I think even sometimes we use this if we've had a disagreement and our tensions are still running high between each other, but we have kind of talked through it and resolved it, but the feelings aren't resolved yet, 
then sometimes we'll throw out a little joke there and then it can break that tension where we've distracted ourselves from the unpleasant feelings and then we're now able to more easily move away from them. The mechanics of everything had already been resolved, but then that little joke we throw out, either you or I, then can diffuse the rest of the leftover negative feelings. And then I think there's sometimes where just self-soothing is not a practical thing or where managing yourself is just not a practical thing. A good example of this would be PTSD. Hey, listen, just don't be anxious about that. Hey, don't that horrible car accident you got into, just don't worry about it. Just think differently about it. There's some things that are just too hard to just force yourself to think differently about. And then what that boils down to is now we're looking at getting professional help to help you manage something. There are lots of things that you can do on your own, but then some things the bar is just a little too high for you to jump over and you need a little extra spring in your step to be able to get over that. And getting professional help is definitely one of those things that can assist you when you're struggling, when you can't feel like I can solve this on my own. And when you think about any of these techniques that we were talking about, and you're just like, that sounds impossible. There's no way I could just do that. Then that's a good indication that there's a deeper level of struggle here. That's not just an everyday, hey, I need to learn to regulate and manage my emotions more, but oh man, this is too much for me. And that's where the professional help can come in and can assist you with better regulating your emotions. And just to add on to that, it's not only for people who are at that level where they feel like they cannot handle this, but I think professional help and therapy can be beneficial for all of us where they give us added tools and techniques that maybe we didn't even think of. Or if you feel like you just need extra support and you want to process through some things, I think that's also a great time to seek that professional help. So to sum up everything we're talking about, this idea of adult tantruming is just letting your emotions dictate your behaviors and allowing it to cause you to do inappropriate and unhealthy things. And so to work away from that adult tantruming tendency, just again, the first step is awareness, understanding that you're having these negative emotional responses, then acceptance. Hey, this is going on. This is inappropriate. I do need to change this. Take care of yourself both physically and emotionally, self-soothing yourself by using some type of deep breathing, cognitive reframing, thinking about how negative something is, but working at shifting it towards more neutral or more of a positive thought process, distracting yourself from the unpleasant negative emotions. I would say, especially in times where there's nothing you can do about it practically to solve that problem. And then number seven is to seek professional help to give you an extra boost to help jump over that hurdle that you might be struggling with. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing.